I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. My name is Steve Statler of Statler Consulting, and uh, we've been hearing a lot from people watching the show. Thanks very much for those of you that reached out. Check us out on statlerconsulting.com. You can subscribe there um, and uh, check out our book, Beacon Technologies on Amazon. So that's enough of me promoting myself. I'm going to help another company promote themselves in some small way through this podcast. We're talking to Bob Friday of Mist. Uh, Bob is the co-founder, I believe, CTO. He was CTO uh, at Cisco. So definitely a heavyweight in the industry. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. Good to be here. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to have you because you are right at the nexus of, um, of wireless technology, steering the technology at Cisco, and then you, and then you left um, and you've helped start up this very innovative company. Uh, you, there's a lot of buzz around Mist. So we're going to talk about what the product is, what your customers are doing, and your view of the industry. But First of all, what you know, what persuaded you to leave Cisco and help start Mist? Yeah, hey Steve, you know, so you know, I was at Cisco, and what I learned there is I was talking to uh, customers, and we started to have more and more of our what I call our B to C customers, uh, and they said, you know, I was there at Cisco trying to promote uh, something called CMX, uh, which is really about you know consumer guest experiences, and when I started talking with these customers, the more I heard about them, the more it was about Bob. They, before they were going to put another service on top of their network, they wanted to make sure they could get visibility. You know, they didn't want to put a big bright light on their wireless network with a big mobile app or some new service unless they're going to get guaranteed connectivity. And probably the second thing was really around what I call speed of adoption. You know, they were basically developing mobile experiences, and they really wanted the network, all the location technology, because the network had a key part of that experience. They wanted to make sure the network could keep up with their mobile app development innovation. Uh, so, you know, when I was at Cisco, I did a lot of work on the Meraki acquisition and everything. And the more I looked at this, the more I decided this is really going to require a whole new kind of back-end architecture. You know, so it became, became a blank sheet of paper problem where, hey, this is easier to do in a startup where you're very focused. You know, when you're trying to build a whole new architecture, it's sometimes easier to do that outside of a big company. That totally makes sense. So tell us what MIST does. Uh, so we're working on two problems right now. One is what I call Watson for wireless IT. You know, and this is really around trying to help wireless ITs take very vague symptoms, and that kind of uh, related to like doctors, right? You know, when a doctor gets a cancer patient, they get these very vague symptoms, 
you know, and they basically have tons of data to go through and try to find the answer or the cure for that. Wireless IT guys have kind of a very similar problem, right? When you look at a wireless problem, you usually get a call, you get some very vague symptoms, uh, and then you have terabytes of log files to go through and try to figure out, you know, what is causing the problem. You know, so one of the visions here is really around, you know, can we bring data science, cloud all together to bring kind of this, what I call virtual uh, assistant, you know, that would really help the wireless IT guy get to the problem quicker and faster. Uh, and that's kind of related to the other problem we're working on. You know, when we talk about trying to put consumer experiences on top of these networks, you know, you need that visibility. The other issue we're working on is really around, can we bring indoor location on par with GPS? And this is basically leveraging DLE. And, you know, one of the things I've seen in the industry, and this is, you know, I think it's similar to what I saw happening on Wi-Fi 10, 15 years ago. You know, what we saw Wi-Fi was kind of nice to have. You know, for those who don't remember, it was kind of hard to sell Wi-Fi 10, 15 years ago. You don't think about it today, right? It's like, you know, Wi-Fi is kind of a, you don't argue, people don't argue about it. But 15 years ago, there were still arguments about whether or not they need Wi-Fi or not. I see kind of the same thing happening in the indoor location space. You know, do we really need BLE or indoor location? I think we're starting to see BLE go from what I call nice to have to a must have. And I think there's some friction points that are starting to come down. You know, we finally have a location technology in all our devices. You know, Apple, Google, they've all agreed to BLE. You know, mm -hmm. for better or for worse, it may not be the greatest location technology, but it solves most of the use cases we need to solve. And probably the other big friction point I've seen with indoor location is really up to now, it's always required an overlay network, right? It required a separate infrastructure, you know, and when you converge VLE and Wi-Fi together, you know, you overcome that friction point. You know, now we have a common infrastructure between VLE and Wi-Fi, so it doesn't require a separate budget. So that's what we're working on at MIST is this wireless for Watson and bringing indoor location on part of our GPS. Okay. Well, it's the location technologies that have caught my eye, but if we have time, I'd like to go back to that um, Watson thing as well. Um, so you have a device, and um, I don't know whether you can kind of uh, admit to this publicly, but that is something that is resold, rebadged by Cisco, I believe. They uh, take your product. Is that something you're allowed to talk about or not? Yeah, that's a public, you know, so Cisco is OEMing our BLE technology. Um, I can actually... I can show you this is what the inside of it looks like. Oh, fantastic. I love this stuff. So that is, um, that looks like you've got multiple antennas in there, multiple radios. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at what we did, you know, when we started this project, uh, you know, as I said, we really started as kind of, you know, this Watson for Wireless IT. What we found, we talked to some of the retailers, is they were doing these beacon projects, right? They were basically deploying a bunch of beacons for, um, customer engagement and consumer experience stuff. Uh, but what they didn't like is they didn't like the fact that every time they rearranged the store or they changed their marketing program, they basically had to move all these battery beacons around. Mm -hmm. You know, so they kind of asked us to do, they asked us, said, well, can you virtualize this beacon function? Uh, and that's what we kind of did a combination of an SDK, you know, this array and some backend software in the cloud. We were basically be able to take that battery beacon function and virtualize it and put it in the cloud. So let's make sure we've really nailed this clearly because virtual beacons, I think, is a great idea. And to give you, I mean, a practical example, I've you know, been working with, um, I love airports because lots of people flow through them, so it's a great place to deploy technology. 
And we uh, we put beacons out at San Diego International Airport, uh, advertising a very obscure website, selling something that most people don't know about and don't care about, which is carbon offsets. And what we found was the website traffic just completely went through the roof when we put beacons out that were pushing out physical web IDs, driving people to the site. So 55% of the web traffic now comes from beacons, which is fantastic. And we think we can raise that. But they're attached to signs. Those signs are going to get moved around. And I'm now thinking, oh, my God, all my beacons are going to get lost. How am I going to find these beacons? They're going to get in some storeroom. They might be thrown away. Who knows? They may be detonated and defused by the TSA. So I think... That's one of the problems that what you solve because these things get attached to the ceiling along with the Wi-Fi infrastructure. Um, and then it doesn't matter if there's a reset of the store. It doesn't matter if, um, uh, if, if the shelving and displays get moved around. You can just go to a console. You can point and click and decide where your virtual uh, eye beacons are. Uh, is that a reasonable kind of summary of what virtual beacons achieve? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a pretty clear thing. Uh, you know, when you look at our user interface, you know, from an IT perspective or from really a mobile app development perspective, they can't tell the difference between a real, you know, one of these beacons, right, mm -hmm. and a virtual beacon. You know, the interface looks like the same. There's a UID, there's a major minor. So from the mobile app program, if they've already written a program for iBeacons, um, it's not the difference. And from the back-end point of view, they can basically move these little virtual beacons anywhere on the floor plan where they have this BLE infrastructure installed. And I think, as I said, you know, you converge this with Wi-Fi, you know, pretty soon you've got a BLE Wi-Fi connectivity solution that solves both your indoor location problem and your Wi-Fi connectivity problem. Well, it looks like you took a, um, a Stanley knife to that Estimo beacon to change the battery. And I, I guess one of your selling points would be you don't need to do that in, in that case. Although I have to say, I think the latest generation of Estimo uh, beacons has gotten really excellent battery life. And uh, that's less of an issue. But I'm sure it's still appealing to people that they don't have to worry about beacon battery life. Yeah, I mean, I think you talked to me. I've talked to several partners who actually, you know, they deploy these beacons either at airports or at stadiums right now, mm -hmm. um, or even at the hospitals, right? You know, and pretty much they have a dedicated, like in the uh, stadiums, you know, they're basically have people flying around the country right now replacing those beacons. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that adds up to, you know, probably a couple hundred thousand dollars a year have these people flying around keeping this beacon program, battery program in place. Hospitals, same thing. They basically have one guy dedicated running around trying to keep all the batteries updated. Now, let's talk about what some of the compromises would be. So people buy the benefit of this virtualization, the fact that you can point and click and move around. You don't have to worry about maintaining and so forth. You've got to put some extra effort into deploying these, um, what, would you call them antennas or receivers, access points? What do you call the device? Um, I want to get, want to get an actual unit. I mean, so when you actually look at the finished part, you know, so this is what they look like, right? Yeah. Now, so what, is it, what does that look like? What does that remind you of? It looks like a Wi-Fi access point. I'll be yeah. straight now. Yeah, so that's, a, that's what they look like. You know, yeah. So that's the point to say, you know, if we're going to be deploying Wi-Fi, you know, so this is already part of the budget. Yeah. Uh, people already know how to deploy, deploy these and maintain and manage them. Mm -hmm. uh, BLE, you know, the BLE array that we put inside of this, this thing here, you know, so once you converge this together, 
you're already part of an ecosystem that's in place, right? Okay. And that's what takes care of the uh, that overlay network problem, right? Uh, so yeah, no, it does require it does require cable pulls. Uh, and you're right. I think what you find is that usually people start with the battery beacon because this is simple and easy. You really don't need IT approval or anything. You know, any marketing guy can go stick these up wherever he wants to uh, to get his mobile app working. Yeah. Uh, but eventually, you have to get to the IT department who actually maintain and runs this stuff, uh, and that's where they start to want this more enterprise-grade, manageable solution. So you're kind of positioning yourself for this early majority uh, when when the technology department finally figure out what these crazy marketing people have done, and they say, "Hey, we need to manage this." So um, I want to get into how the technology works. It's fascinating, uh, and all those multiple antennas. Um, this virtualization only works if you've got something that is more accurate than a regular kind of standalone beacon, because uh, otherwise you'd be pointing and clicking, and it would be some kind of amorphous uh, thing. It wouldn't. It wouldn't work. So you're achieving more accuracy with your missed devices. Um, how do you do that, and why do you have eight? Is it eight radios in that thing? Well, it's actually probably more than eight, but eight Bluetooth radios. Yeah, so the array basically has eight teams. You know, and I'd say there's two main things here, two fundamental reasons why this really provides better location accuracy. One is when you have a PoE array, we are sending a lot more information, you know, because I don't have a battery to worry about. This battery beacon, typically for battery life, sends maybe one beacon a second if you're lucky. Um, the arrays are, can send up to 40 or 50 beacons per second. You know, so you have a lot more information to actually average. Okay. You know, so so you, mean, you can transmit a lot faster without worrying about battery life because it's all wired into the grid ultimately over power over, you said POE, power over Ethernet for, for marketing people or those of us who are, um, have bad memories, which I would count myself as one. So uh, you're broadcasting very rapidly and there's no compromise necessary there. And you have eight beams uh, and they're kind of radiating out. And presumably my phone is seeing potentially eight beams. One's really strong and then maybe two are less strong. Is that basically, is, is the phone smart and figuring that out and then seeing maybe beams from another one? How, how does that all how does the poor phone know where it is? Yeah, so the, the beams are probably, uh, this is something, you know, 10, 15 years ago at Airspace when I was working on a Wi-Fi location. Uh, this is around, what I, this is unsupervised machine learning. So the other key piece of the puzzle here is when you're doing these RSSI-based location methods, you have to know this path loss model, right? You need to know the relationship between the RSSI and the distance. And that model changes for every different phone, every different device has a slightly different model. So the other key to getting better accuracy is being able to do unsupervised machine learning. Mm -hmm. And those beams you know, are a key part of making that work. So you can kind of think of each beam voting on where you're at. Mm -hmm. you know, so if you have, let's say, two or three of these arrays, you may have anywhere from 16 to 24 different beams voting on where you are in space. Mm -hmm. Each one of those beams are getting turned into a probability surfaces. You know, so basically there's a probability where you are. I have 24 different votes on where I think you are. Those probability surfaces are what are what key to letting me basically learn what the path loss model for each different model device inside the space. 
And so you're talking about path loss, and this is, uh, we may be getting into the weeds here, but, um, and we talk about it in my, my book, the fact that with a beacon, it's pretty good at seeing kind of rough dif- distances when you're close to the beacon. As your phone, you know, it, it, your phone can tell the difference between three feet and 10 feet quite well, but it can't tell the difference between 30 feet and 35 feet or 36 feet. It's just because it's because it's a curve, isn't it? It kind of goes down. And you're saying that you solve that because you basically have a lot more inputs uh, and there's some machine learning, which I always get very suspicious about when people say machine learning, because I, I don't know how is it happening, but where is that machine learning going on and, and what's it doing? It's unsupervised, so we don't need to worry about it. It just takes care of itself. But yeah. tell us a bit more about how what that means. Yeah, so, so I think what that means in basic terms, right? I mean, so you have this phone here, right? And so it's basically capturing all these beacons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that's what's key. Like, if you're, if you're doing wayfinding, someone's walking down a, a room or an aisle or somewhere, right? You need to get enough information. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. To make a good average. So you know, every second someone's moving a meter, if I only gave you one beacon, right, one piece of information, you'd have a very hard time trying to figure out where that person is if I just gave you one RSSI. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you actually get the machine learning, this phone here is basically sending back information every second back to Amazon, mm-hmm. where you basically have unlimited compute and storage to do what you want with. Mm-hmm. Once all that information gets back to Amazon, there's an algorithm back there that takes all those probability surfaces and calculates that path up, calculates for this particular phone the relationship between RSSI and distance. Okay. And that's your path loss thing. And that's the name of the company, Mist. It's all kind of cloud type references. I, I see. <laughs> cloud grounded in reality, Steve. This is uh, the okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so it's more accurate. And I think what we're kind of, you describe, I think we've been talking about two use cases here. One is navigation, which is less about iBeacon packets waking up apps that have been exited or in, in, in the background. And the other one is I've got my retailer app in the foreground. I'm in big box store. And I'm trying to find where the heck the widget is that I need to buy. So... Um, I'm not sure what, but those are quite distinct use cases, aren't they? Sending an alert to someone, waking waking up the phone, and the other one is finding their way to the right place to buy something. Is that true? 
Yeah, I think there, I mean I think there's two what I call two fundamental use cases, um, and this is why people are looking into these arrays now because they do both of them right. Right? There's kind of the use case where I'm transmitting beacons down, and there's something catching those beacons, and that typically is a mobile app. There's some mobile app catching those beacons that's usually tied to wayfinding or proximity notification type of use cases. The other major use case is really about listening. You know, okay. And, you know, and that's what that's another thing we found is compared to the battery beacons, the array can actually listen to things also. Can so you that, do it both at the same time? Can you can yes. you broadcast and you can listen at the same time? Okay. So yeah, why would so, you want to listen? Uh, so on the listen side, you have kind of what I call the workflow optimization, and this is around asset visibility. So if you're in the healthcare industry, healthcare is probably a prime example of where you have. They want to do both wayfinding for their customers coming into the hospital, trying to help patients get to the doctor office, but they also want to be able to listen to assets, right? They want to be able to track where that fusion pump is. Uh, you see it also in manufacturing where they want to be able to help people get around the manufacturing floor, but they also want to keep track of assets that are moving around the manufacturing floor. All right. So maybe the last technical question. How, how accurate is accurate? How accurate can you get in terms of figuring out? I, and I still maintain the wayfinding is slightly different to kind of proximity alerts where you're both a, a kind of on, on the outbound side. But um, what sort of accuracy can I expect to get? Yeah, so I mean, I would say wayfinding and proximity actually go together. You know, we have hospitality customers right now that are putting these arrays about every 15 meters up and down hallways. Um, you know, and at that type of spacing right now, we're getting about three meter accuracy for what we call virtual beacon notification. Mm -hmm. You know, so if people walk up and down the hallways, you want to get enough accuracy if you want to put like a bubble somewhere, right? You want to put a virtual beacon somewhere in that hallway to help people understand what's around them. Uh, you know, if you're at theme parks, we also have theme park customers where you have the big lines, right? You want to get enough accuracy where they can basically tell you what the uh, point of interest, where you are in line, what's near you or something. Uh, so those type of spacings, we get down to about a three meter bubble, mm -hmm. you know, getting accurately placed into that three meter bubble. If you want less accuracy, if you're just doing wayfinding, you don't necessarily need that accuracy. If you're just trying to get people up and down from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. That's very good. Well, um, tell us who's, who, who, who are your customers at this stage? Um, you know, some examples are, uh, there's a big, we have a big hospitality customer, Swan and Dolphin in, uh, over in Disney uh, that's using it, you know, and they're using it for two purposes. One is, you know, for their guests and for their mobile app inside of their normal guests. Uh, they're also looking at trying to do location-based services, right? You know, they have big conferences and event planners coming in there, you know, and it's same like Wi-Fi. They want to start providing BLE, you know, BLE services to the event planners coming in. Um, Healthcare is probably another example. Mission Health. So BLE services, so I want to be able to see what booth someone is standing at, that kind of thing, or? Uh. Yeah, I think it's the uh, same thing, right? You know, if you go to big events, um, you know, there's several use cases there. One is, you know, hey, I want to get from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to be able to help people get to the booths. On the back end, people want to get the analytics of, you know, how are people actually moving around, what zones, what booths are getting visited the most. Uh, I've seen a couple of use cases where it's more of the, Hey, you're at a big show and you're trying to find your, you know, you're trying to find your friend. You know, it's kind of the red dot, green dot. You know, mm -hmm. I want to find Steve. Steve, I'm over here. 
don't know if you've ever gone to Kim's or these big gigantic shows. Some of these shows are very big, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to figure out where is your buddy. Yeah. Um, and so no, that social of- aspect is really, I think, uh, very in- uh, exciting. So we've got some events and hospitality. Uh, what, what other verticals and, and, and customers uh, are you seeing adopting this? Um, I think the other one is uh, commercial real estate, the malls, right? Mm. You know, the malls are kind of classic. Um, we have a big mall, Miami Brickle Mall, that's actually using it right now. You know, and that's kind of the classic, you know, trying to help people get to the retail shops. Uh, I think people are also looking at this as the beginnings of a marketing platform, right? You know, typically when you look behind these systems, you'll find a content management some, somewhere that's really the content, the marketing platform that's helping getting information down to the guests on site. Mm-hmm. You know, and you kind of think about it, you know, when you talk to people who are in this business, there's kind of this journey, whether it's in the hospitality space or in the mall space, of the journey from home to destination. And usually most marketing guys have a pretty good way of connecting with you when you're at home, you know, either through email or websites. They tend to lose track of you once you get into the venue. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm working with the marketing departments now, you know, a lot of the discussions around, you know, how do you stay connected with the guest or the consumer while they're on site? Yeah, very good. And um, let's just wrap up, uh, but before we do, uh, I'd just be interested in your overall assessment of the Beacon ecosystem and uh, and uh, a last technical question. So you're like iBeacon, uh, you're not doing the Eddystone thing, is that No, right? we, all three. We do, oh. we do, we do iBeacon, Eddystone, and AllBeacon. And I mean, that's another advantage of the, you know, when you get to these POE arrays, right, um, there's no really cost factor. We can transmit all three beacons. You know, and when you look at what's going on on the handset side, you know, Google and Apple are starting to build in new functionality and features into their OSs to support these beacons. You know, Apple has kind of their lock screen thing. Uh, Google and Eddystone have kind of the physical world thing, right? They're trying to build the URL into their into the web browsers. Very cool. So, um, so you've got a broad view of the market. What's what's your sense? You described that kind of the early days, the struggles with Wi-Fi. Where are we in the adoption curve? And any other comments you'd like to make about market maturity? Yeah, you know, like I said, I think on the market side, you know, the, the thing that got me excited here on the BLE market is, you know, are we at a tipping point? You know probably similar to you, right? I've been working in an lo- indoor location for the last 10 or 15 years. I was at Cisco, you know, I was a CTO there and I thought originally it was going to be, you know, indoor locations should just come with our phones, right? Uh, when I started to get into it, I found out there's a lot of moving pieces uh, that's stopping indoor location from really becoming a stand industry standard. I think BLE is going to be one of those things that may be the breaking point for it. You know, because it's, you know, back in the Wi-Fi days, when Intel put Wi-Fi inside of our laptops, that was kind of the catalyst for the whole moving Wi-Fi from a nice-to-have to a must-have. Uh, I see kind of a similar uh, thing going on with BLE. You know, we have BLE in all our devices now. You know, so we have a standard interoperable technology that everybody agrees to uh, as kind of a proximity location technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we're there in the ecosystem of that happening. Uh, we have the BLE, and that drives down BLE chip cost, right? And that's what happened with Wi-Fi. You know, once you could break that, we started getting very low-cost BLE technology to go on devices. Yeah. Uh, the, the Beacon ecosystem, I don't know, there must be like 40 or 50 
how many vendors do you think out there are making beacons now? I think we're starting to reach critical mass on the beacon. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Beacon ecosystem, golly, I should uh, know this, 380 companies registered in um, uh, what used to be called Proxbook, the proximity directory. Uh, they're not all making beacons, but there's a lot of beacons there. We don't need more hardware. We need more solutions. But I think anyone who can optimize operational issues uh, is, is going to be welcomed as we move from early adopters to, um, to, to kind of the early majority. You know, and as, as I said before, I think the other big hurdle to this thing has been the uh, overlay network problem. Indoor location has always been associated with an overlay network. You know, in BLE now, we're basically converging that BLE with Wi-Fi. So that kind of eliminates the friction point around the overlay network problem. And I think, you know, probably the industry I've seen the most looking to BLE adoption initially is probably in the healthcare industry. Mm -hmm. You Because know, there they have a very strong history of RTLS, right? There's been yeah. a lot. There's been a lot of RTLS in that industry. You know, Wi-Fi beacons, right? There's the Stanley Healthcare and so forth. Uh, but those those things tend to have not great battery life. Am, am I talking out of school? Is that? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that's you know, healthcare is kind of a great example of where they've had vertical indoor location, right? They had Stanley Healthcare, WarePoint, Centrac. Uh, and they're looking to BLE is kind of moving to this horizontal standards-based solution, right? You know, yeah. where there's an ecosystem of beacon players, there's an yeah. ecosystem of BLE infrastructure players, and an ecosystem of business logic players that go on top of this standards-based solution. Um, yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And we saw what you know, the first wave was big events, stadiums, sports stadiums, and uh, other like airports is, is really big. But I agree. I think healthcare seems to be increasingly where, where people are focusing. And it's where this nexus of engaging with the public and giving them great benefits like being able to check in without getting in line in the crowded doctor's studio and finding the appointment. And then you have asset tracking, which to me, that's one of the trends of 2017 is asset tracking because the ROI is just a lot easier to track. If you're tracking pallets, um, uh, you know, there's operational efficiencies in factories, there's uh, I don't have to buy so much expensive equipment if I know where it is in a in a hotel, so in a hospital rather. Uh, so I, I think that's super exciting, um, and I'm seeing that from my clients. I'm like, I've decided one of the areas I'm going to focus on, probably the area, is uh, manufacturing. And you know, we're we're talking offline about exactly that with one of my uh, with one of my clients. The other thing that I see, and I think is going to probably be as big as iBeacon, and it's going to be as big as Eddystone, is NIAD, National Emergency Address Database, 911. And uh, uh, it's a dream project for me. I'm working on it, and it's being driven by something that the carriers have to do. So they're all, all the major phone carriers are behind it. And this is basically a project to make your phone Bluetooth beacon aware when you dial 911. And that means rather than a kind of dodgy, inaccurate uh, location that goes to the call centers, we'll get dispatchable addresses that are more accurate, and we're gonna get full floor level accuracy, which can save lives. And so, I, you know, just as someone who's uh, getting on and my friends are getting on, then, then I want that 911 call to be responded to quickly. And so I think there's gonna be an obligation, a kind of a genuine desire to help guests and make sure they don't die on premises. 
And then there's going to be, and we don't want the legal liability, and that's going to translate into lower insurance rates if you have a beacon infrastructure that allows 911 to work better in your facility. And it's just starting to get going. We're getting the standards going. We should talk about this offline, actually, what uh, MIS can do as part of that. But I, I think, uh, you know, I see a future where one of the reasons why people buy beacons is just to get the infrastructure in place. It'll be like smoke alarms. Then once you've got the smoke alarms um, in there, oh, actually, I can make money out of it. I can prove, improve the customer experience. So I think that's going to be huge. So I'll, I'll join you in the 911. I mean, at Cisco, I was working on the 911. You know, and as you know, right? You the, guys uh, are part of it. Yeah. Um, on the Wi-Fi. It's, it's not just beacons. It's Wi-Fi as well, to be fair. But, uh, but beacons have an important place to play in terms of spreading it further at a lower cost with more accuracy. So. I think indoor location, right? I mean, getting a 911 system to start ingesting other location sources, especially indoor location source. You know, but that was an effort at Cisco we worked on. That's a whole back-end effort, getting the 911 system to be able to take input from other sources, other media sources besides this, the, uh, the phone system. Yeah, it's um, happening. It's happening. It should happen. Very good. Well, Bob Friday missed uh, really exciting technology, very innovative. Um, and uh, it's been great to hear about your customers and uh, your view on the industry. Really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Look forward to meeting you. Yeah. So, uh, so imagine you're on a rocket ship to Mars, and for some bizarre reason, you can only take three songs with you. What would be your three songs, Bob? Well, so that's an easy question right now because I'm in the process of trying to learn to play guitar. Okay. So, "Take It Easy" by Eagles, "Blackbird" by the Beatles, and "I Know You Writer" by the Grateful Dead. Okay, very good. Well, thanks for that. Um... Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.